great opportunity to really focus on some special aspects of the Advent season and the focus that we have as a church on this period of time where we consider again the coming of Christ for us, to save us from our sins. Now, the the problem, though, is culturally everybody celebrates Advent at some level. They may not call it that, but even people who don't believe in Christ, you know, there's special times off of work, there are uh, there's music playing, even the exchange of gifts that happen during the holidays uh, or these seasons. And so everybody in our culture is hustling and bustling at this time of the year. And it actually gets busier. And so contemplating or pondering like Mary did, who treasured up and pondered these things in her heart, become challenging to us. So I thought I would bring to you five different meditations about uh, the specialness of the season and some particulars that we can uh, work out in our lives during this time. And so last week I started with that text from Luke 2, where Mary treasured and pondered all these things, the big picture of God's redemption, but also the personal way in which God was working in her life to bring her to that point. And I hopefully challenged you to slow down long enough to appreciate what it all means, especially in this busy time. And I want to continue that theme of pondering, but now add to it another thing that Advent is special for, and then add to that several others. So this week we'll talk about how Advent is a special time especially to praise God. That should happen all the time, but especially now with all the focus on praising him uh, that we hear, even in the mall, you can hear a, a hymn playing that might call you to that praise. And let's listen to that and respond. But also, it's a time to party as well. That means to get together, to have fellowship, to celebrate, to enjoy one another. That's part of what we'll look at too next week. And then also it's a time to plan. We're coming to the end of one year and looking ahead to a new year, a new beginning. So we'll, we'll use this time to, to contemplate what God has done, is doing, and what he will do. And then Christmas Eve, we'll have a shorter of these meditations, but one that is important, that we respond to this coming of Jesus similar to the way the shepherds respond as they glorified and praise God. They could do nothing else but share this message with others. So with that in mind, I want you to look at the verse that I have printed in your bulletin. I will also uh, refer to Luke 2 just in just a little bit in this sermon, so you might keep your Bible open to Luke 2 if you have it, or you can listen. But I will read now Luke 2, 8 through 14, and special emphasis given to verse 13 and 14 to help us with this idea that Advent is a time to praise. So hear now God's word, Luke 2, 8 through 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold... I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there's with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, during this Advent Christmas season we celebrate the great truth of the incarnation Uh, for the christ child of bethlehem god you entered into human history revealed yourself up close and personal lord jesus it is an astounding truth which evokes praise that we have encountered you in a real personal historical tangible way and lord jesus that your coming as as a man tells us that the god with whom we are dealing is no distant ruler who remains aloof from the affairs of your creatures but you are one who is passionately concerned with us to the extent that you have even taken it upon yourself to come to us in the form of a servant. 
Father, this reveals so much to us, but it evokes us to praise you, just like it did those people who witnessed it the first time, just the way people, as they have contemplated over the years, return to praising you. And God, we ask you to slow us down enough this season, this day, that we might contemplate this again and praise you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I am not in any way opposed to the concept of a zoo. Zoos are great. In fact, personally, I like them small, so you can, don't have to walk as far and you can see them, right? There's one animal and there's the next animal. Now, Kansas City has a pretty good zoo, and they spread it out and try to make it look as natural as possible. Now, the truth, though, is no matter what you do, though, there's a sense in which the zoo kind of robs that animal of some of its created glory. Just can't help it. Now, I think it's important for education and to get close to some of these animals. I don't really want to see a lion out in the safari. I'd prefer to see it on the other side of the fence. However, those animals are, are incredible beasts, and they, they proclaim really something about the glory of God in their, the way they're made up and created. Yet, truthfully, in the zoo, you know, it just, it, if you think about it, it just takes away. They're not living out what they should have, should be doing or can be doing, and there's a sense in which it takes a bit of it away. Now, they don't know any different, I'm sure. Uh, they're probably happy with their life or think it's pretty cool that they, you know, can get up and go get a slab of meat that the zoo master just threw there, but they don't know it necessarily. But we know it, and we kind of think to ourselves, man, so much more for them in their creation. Think of the cheetah, for instance. Now, there's an animal. That animal can get to 60 miles an hour in three seconds. Now, I was informed by some young people in the first service that there are some vehicles who, that can do this, but I'm sure none in this parking lot can. Uh, if you have an extra $2 million around and want to buy a Bugatti, apparently that vehicle can go faster than a cheetah in, in three seconds. But not my minivan or yours or any of the better car that might, with a bigger engine could be in it, can go zero to 60 in less than three seconds, and a cheetah can. And a cheetah can, can run down a gazelle at first full speed, take it down and eat it. That's glorious. That, that's the acting out of what he's created to do. The cheetah. What an animal when you think about it. And they have a home range of 15 to 60 miles that they can go around and maraud and, and, and they work right at dark and at, right before it's getting dark and first light. And they're just an amazing animal that you see uh, on your TV when they show it in the wild. But you go to the zoo and you see it there and you think, wow, that's the cheetah. It's just laying there. Not quite what it's created to be. Think of some other animals, like the boa constrictor. There is a, 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 a snake that can get up to 15 to 20 feet long, they say. And they get pretty big. The ones in the zoo are big. They're not that big, but they're big. And they can eat a small mammal. And in, in the wild, the way God created them, they can, they can cruise around the rainforest at will. And they're huge. In the zoo, they're like in a little aquarium, you know? It's a little tiny thing. Barely can move you and throw a rat in there. How about an eagle? This picture of freedom, right? And power. Eagles are amazing. From hundreds of feet, they can see a ground mouse, you know, a mouse just going through the grass, and they can, grab, they can come down and get it. Uh, some eagles have wingspans of four to six feet. That's huge. Yet, all that glory wrapped up in that incredible bird that so many people claim for their symbol and their logos and their monograms and the names of their teams and their organizations. Eagles, I mean, even our country's logo has an eagle on it. But you go to the zoo and it's on a hanging log in a cage. It's still glorious and I'm moved to praise God when I see this creation, but it's not at all the full extent of the glory that's been given to it. 
How about elephants, among other things? These things get to 25,000 pounds. They're 300 pounds when they're born. That's big. They eat 500 pounds worth of food every day. It's a lot of food. They're, they're considered very wise and intelligent among beasts because they, they live so long. In the wild, it's interesting to note that they can live 60, 70 years in some cases. They don't live that long when they're in captivity. Because out there, they're realizing, if you will, the areas that there's some protections, their full potential. You go to the zoo, and it's a great feat, and we celebrate it when we get them 50 acres to live on. It's not quite the same as what they're created to be. Why all these references? Well, I think we kid ourselves when we think as human beings that we have even begun to scratch the surface of our full potential. Us thinking that our life of praise and worship unto God is what it should be is not much different than that cheetah getting up every once in a while to go get a slab of meat that was thrown in the cage for it. I would suggest to you that you have been created to worship God. Your very existence was called into being so that you would give praise to God. And the fall has radically altered that. We are unable to give that kind of praise to God any longer. Now, being redeemed, we now get to open up that door again and start to see what it was supposed to be and can start to worship and praise him. Yet we don't do so little of it, don't we? You know, we, we relegate it to just an hour and a half at worship or special times. We don't think of worship in the way God created it to be, which is his all-consuming fellowship with us. And he creates us and he gives us duties to fulfill. We fulfill them and he, it brings praise to him, just like it was in the garden. I mean, that was a total act of worship the life and existence of Adam and Eve before sin came in. Uh, proclaiming it with their mouth, yes, thank you, God, but also just doing what God gave them to do with such a, a praise unto God. And it's been lost in Adam and Eve. And there's only a little sense of regaining now in this life, but it's a wonderful sense. And when we partake of it, to the degree we partake of praising God, pausing to praise God and living our life as a praise unto God, that's when we find actual peace and rest the things we strive so, so vehemently for. It's the peace and rest you experience will always be in connection to the place God has in your life, meaning praising and worshiping him. It's always relative to that in some degree. It's that simple. When we're having unrest, unsettledness, battle in our life, discontentment, it's got to be related to some level to who we're worshiping, whether we're worshiping or not. God. We're always worshiping, but whether it's God or not, that then becomes the real litmus question. And so at this time, when we have all these songs directed towards the praise of God, we have all this opportunity to think of the praise of God, I would like to draw our attention again to our need to praise God, that it's an important part of what we need to do to live as human beings as God has called us. It's not just something we do out of duty. It's something we do because it's who we are and what we've been created to do. The coming of Christ should evoke praise then as we consider it, especially among those who understand its significance. I want you to consider with me, looking at Luke, just for a moment, starting in chapter 1. Every time there is some reference to the coming of Christ, there is a spontaneous praise that comes from this knowledge. If you look at Luke 1, verse 42, you have Elizabeth who is going to give birth to John the Baptist, the one who's been prophesied to be the precursor to Jesus, to tell people to make the way straight. So this is a big event in her life. Being of older age now, she's having a child. 
She hears that Mary is with child, thus fulfilling, this will be the Christ. And listen to what Elizabeth's reaction is in Luke 1.42. She exclaimed with a loud cry. She's meeting Mary for the first time pregnant. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Elizabeth leaps for joy, if you will, praising God and the baby in her womb, the knowledge of Christ being with us in the womb of Mary leaps for joy. The spirit of God could only give this kind of praise. Spontaneous praise comes when we understand what it means that God comes to us. Also, Mary herself, just a few verses later in Luke 146, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Her response, and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. She praises God for the sending of Christ, even in the midst of her personal trouble over what would happen. Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, also is moved to praise by the Holy Spirit. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit in verse 67 of Luke 1, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He has fulfilled his prophecy, praise God. That's a spontaneous response to the sending of Jesus. We see it time and time again, even here right in the account itself. Even those who did not need redemption, the angels who witnessed all these acts of God, they are moved to praise when they see what God does in sending Christ. Luke 2, verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Praise of God is the spontaneous reaction to God sending Christ. Social outcasts, those who probably didn't have a background about this, didn't know what the prophecy said as such. The shepherds are met by the angels. In verse 20 of Luke 2, And the shepherd returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Spontaneously, they respond to the coming of Christ with praise. And then there's this old man who's quite the opposite of the shepherd, Simeon, who did know the prophecies, Ask God to keep him alive long enough to see it realized at some level. And here he is, and the Christ child is brought to him in Luke chapter 2, verse 28. And he took him up into his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. My eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, the light for the revelation of the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. Praise God for sending Jesus. Make no mistake, that's got to be our response if we're thinking right. Is redeemed people. If we're thinking straight in the spirit of God's working, we've got to stop and praise. I just think we don't stop long enough, so that's the reason why it's difficult for us to praise. Or it's become humdrum, or it's here we go again, and we forget the depth of what we're talking about, God becoming man to save me, to save you, to save us. Anna, this elderly woman of God, this godly woman who also, much like Simeon, longed to see God's promises fulfilled. In Luke 2.36 she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow, until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer day and night. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Her response to the coming of Christ is praise, as it should be our response also. And so whatever's happening right now, and we'll think of some of the things that are happening that could cause us not to praise 
we should now just stop for a moment and contemplate what it means that God sends his son so we might worship God, that we can worship God, that we can live with our full potential as people who can worship Christ. You know, the reality of the advent of Christ is coming. It caused continued praise from that time forward. It didn't stop at the first advent of Jesus. From that time forward, every time someone was confronted with the depth and reality of the coming of Christ, it evoked praise. It happens throughout the history of the church. It happened in the scriptures immediately after this when the Magi came from the Far East and they see the Christ child, they come to worship him. We don't even know all that they understood about it, but they knew what it was was significant and deep and important and they gave gifts. John the Baptist, who did not grow up with Jesus like we might grow up with our cousins. He lived somewhere else. It wasn't like they got together and hung out and threw skimmed rocks in the creek. They didn't do that. They didn't see each other, we understand, until this moment when John is about to baptize Jesus, not for the remission of sins, but to inaugurate his public ministry. And he sees Jesus coming and he says in praise, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. The reaction to Jesus coming is always praise when rightly understood. If there's a pause from whatever else is going on and praise is what happens. It, not just duty, but because it's what we do. It's what we're created to do. And when we struggle to do it, it's because we're battling with our, our fallenness, if you will, because our actual design is to worship. We just fill it with other stuff. We worship other things, but we always worship. And when it's Christ, then it's different. Now we're fulfilled. Now we actually have a peace of contentment that governs everything else and sheds everything into a new light. If you will, for a moment, take your hymnal, turn to 193. I could give you a church history survey of all the different reactions to the incarnation, but I think the greatest deposit of church history is often found, by the way, in our hymnals, our books of praise and worship. Uh, You could look at any era at the songs that they sing and they write and they express, and you can get a sense of the depth of the spirituality of that given era. The hymnal is replete with, from different centuries, these praise statements related to his advent. The first advent song in our hymn, the way it's organized in our hymnal, is let all mortal flesh keep silence. And if you look at the words that are manifested there, and they talk about the angels, alleluia, alleluia, Lord most high. This is the, the refrain of let all mortal flesh keep silence. A great hymn we love to sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. What's the, the chorus line is rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. This praise, it, it just evokes worship when we consider the coming of christ you know every year i wrestle i i take 193 all the way to i think it's it's up into like 230 something where you have the advent hymns we never have enough enough sundays with enough slots to sing all the songs so i've got to pick some Uh, but i go through just from a devotional aspect and look at the hymns that we don't always sing even that are advent hymns and they're just powerful with words of praise and this is what the deposit of the church shows for us. Enjoy to the world, which we'll sing at the end. The whole song is about rejoicing at his first coming, and it actually has more emphasis on his second coming, his advent, the final time. Look at 200. It came upon a midnight clear. It's just a constant reference to the praising of God. In the very first verse, it came upon a midnight clear, the glorious song of old, from angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. This is a reference of, of the announcement of praise that the angels make about the coming of Christ. All of the hymns that we read sing during this time 
bring us to this place of praise. In 203, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, another favorite we sing. The whole emphasis of it, the first verse with angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. We're drawn into the cries of the angels so that we too might pause and praise. Oh, come all ye faithful. Probably my favorite of the Advent season as far as opening our service of hymn of adoration. That's 208 where it says, oh, come, let us adore him. Let us adore him. Let us adore him, Christ the Lord. All of this is about bringing praise to God, to do what we were created to do. You say, well, it's all about him. Well, we've been designed to do this. So yes, it brings glory to him, but it's what you were made to do. And so when we praise him, we tap in to our purpose in its ultimate sense. Good Christian men rejoice 207. Another great way to a good Christmas day hymn. It's all about praising him. Good Christian men and women for that matter, rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Give heed to what we say Christ is born today. This section of the Advent hymns is a great testimony to the thought process that God worked in the church through the centuries to give us these great deposits of focus upon praising God for what he did in sending Christ. Brothers and sisters, the coming of Jesus should evoke praise among those who understand its significance. Why is God so praiseworthy? Well, very briefly and maybe obviously, Praise is something we give to someone who is worth it or is worthy. Worship comes from the word worth-ship. He's worth it. He deserves it because of who he is and what he has done. Who he is alone is worthy. It gives him worth for praise. In other words, if he had never created us or saved us, he would still be worthy of worship. The psalmist says, for great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The psalmist says elsewhere, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. And this is aside from his creation and redemption. He's just worth it to praise. He created angels to worship him just because he's worthy of it before doing anything else. But what he has done evokes supreme praise from us. He has created everything. You look at the stars, you look at the creation, you consider the animals I just spoke of, all the things his hands have made. And we stop, we pause, and we say, that is amazing. And whoever made this is worthy of praise. And we praise God by way of his creation. It evokes us to worship him. But you know what else? The fact that he would save us and at least give us an idea or an inkling that this is the case reveals to us the truth of what he has done in creating. We now look at creation with this eyes of God's dominion and it gives us a greater sense of praise for what he has done. And then we're humbled by the fact that he would save us unto being able to praise him. What an act of God to give us fellowship with him so that we could do what we were made to do. Now, having said all that, I'm going to ask you a blunt question. Well, maybe the question's not so blunt, but what I'm going to say after will be, which may shock you. Does Advent move you, my brothers and sisters, to praise God? Or where is your thinking right now in Advent 2010? I think we all should agree, or probably would agree, if you're sitting here, that we should praise God. He's worthy. I don't think you disagree with anything I've said so far, probably. I mean, maybe someone here doesn't know Christ and doesn't agree. I get that. But I think most of you probably, you say, yeah, that's true. We should praise him. It is amazing what he has done. Yet despite knowing this, we may struggle right now to pause enough, long enough to praise him. And there may be some distraction in the way. 
Maybe you don't know the truth of Advent because you don't know Christ and the Holy Spirit has not revealed this to you. It's my prayer that the Spirit of God combined with his word and the revelation that Christ is your Savior, has to be your Savior, that he would give you eyes to see this and you would appreciate it and not be blind to the truth of praising God as a result or response to Advent. But maybe the story for those of you who are Christians has just become old. You know, you're just, you associate this time of year actually with stress. It's just more stressful to you. And you do appreciate the fact that God sent Jesus. But, you know, right now it's just too much going on and it's hard for you to think of it. Or it's ho-hum. I've heard it all before. You know, I've been thinking about the reasons why we might as a church family and all the various things that go on in our church among us and as people, all of us experience these things. i just give you a few ways in which there may be a distraction in your life that you should identify. I think identifying that distraction helps you to then praise God. If we just ignore it, sometimes we don't know why it is that we're struggling with praising God. Uh, we do have this new opening now as redeemed people to praise and live out our design, but we still struggle with sin. So this reality disrupts things, and so we suffer distractions. Here are a few possible distractions that might be hindering you praising God right now. Perhaps a strained or a broken relationship is causing an unrest, an unsettledness that distracts you from focusing on Christ in his gift in coming for you. If it's with your spouse or with your child, it's probably an all-consuming focus or burden right now. It's difficult to get beyond it. If it's with a more distant relative or a friend or maybe a coworker, whenever there's a lull in activity, it comes back to your mind you can't get real rest if you fixate on this damaged relationship. Maybe that's causing you to struggle with praising God. Maybe it's an uncertain job situation. It's stressing you out with the economy as it is, a sense of widespread you know, societal anxiety that you seem to get everywhere around us. Maybe that's in the forefront of your mind personally, week to week, because you're not sure that you'll keep your job. You just don't know. You're stressed to the point of having difficulty thinking about God and what he's done for you, what he's doing for you. These are real distractions we face. Maybe there's a financial burden that consumes you and makes you anxious all the time. It's a time now where in this Advent season where money is kind of expected to be spent, right? I mean, gifts have to be bought and things have to be, uh, you, parties to go to, food to buy, and, and it stresses you out and there's offerings that are being uh, taken and bells that are ringing and you want to give, but yet you feel so tied to the situation you have or this lack of provision you feel and you're so consumed with that that, difficult for you to praise God in a season like this may even be made worse because of all this seeming pressure we put upon ourselves and the way we perceive things and maybe it's a health issue that as you occupied maybe even scared perhaps a medical test has been taken or is coming up and you're fearful about what it might reveal uh, maybe you're in great pain and discomfort even right now it's difficult for you to concentrate on anything I'm saying let alone praising God for sending Christ to save us a physical discomfort may dominate you, and it's just tough to get it off your mind and look upon Christ and what he's done. Maybe for you it's a child who is not walking with Christ, so it makes it very difficult or hard for you to think about the depth of God's love in sending Christ. You love Christ, and you want your kids to love Christ so bad, and the fact that one of them or more of them don't makes it difficult for you to celebrate this time. Hey, maybe to be very frank, we're so enthralled with our children and their life and their activities that we don't seem to have time to make special effort to slow down and ponder what the incarnation means. 
this child worship is ever present throughout the year, but all sorts of added activities at this time of the year during the holidays, they put a squeeze on your child-centered devotion and you never get to put your eyes on Christ. Simply too busy watching or catering to Junior to praise God for redemption. And make no mistake, we teach clearly to Junior what the center of the universe really is. And yes, we worship during Advent, but it's not Christ. Maybe something at work or at school is sucking the energy out of you. You think you'll get to praising God after I'm done with this assignment or this new project my boss gave me. A paper's due that demands a huge amount of your energy. You're taking an exam. Uh, Your gaze is on the assignment, on making the grade or the deadline before the semester's end. And you're saying to yourself, no doubt fooling yourself, but saying to yourself, I'll think about this all when that assignment's in or that task is done, to which you have to say, there will always be assignment, there will always be another task, there will always be another project. Will we always say, when we're done with this, then we'll give the Lord God of the universe the attention he deserves? Maybe we're too busy getting ready to travel, buying gifts, planning activities, going to Christmas parties, all the while maintaining our still busy schedule, was busy going into the season, and then we don't have time to contemplate praising God specifically for sending Christ right now. We're so busy celebrating Christmas time that we don't have the opportunity to actually experience what the coming of Christ means and provides. I say these to you to prompt you to confess in your mind that maybe these are things that need to be rethought of and considered. And maybe they're too difficult to get over right at this spot. I get that, but just take a moment, please, to take in what it is God has done for us, sending his son and saving us from our sins. Yes, we're in the midst of some of these issues, but let that not stop us from living out our purpose to give praise to God. There are so many benefits that come to this praising of God. Obviously, the most important one is that we bring glory to God when we praise him. And he deserves it. John said in Revelation, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they, were, they existed and were created. You're worthy, God. So this is one of the main benefits that comes forth. It's a benefit of his creating us that we would praise him. He redeems us to praise him. But also, beyond that reality, which is powerful and it touches us, we also, though, in praising God, we experience the personal presence of God with us when we pause to give credit to whom credit is deserved. Our faith is then strengthened when we give proper attention and priority to God. By praising God, we're reminded of his greatness, that his greatness is bigger than any of these issues we face. They are big when we deal with them, and I'm not discounting it, but God's greater than them. It's sometimes just stopping and acknowledging that, not knowing how you'll get out of those situations or when it'll change. Stopping and acknowledging the greatness of God will actually draw you closer to him, and you'll have an experience of closeness with him that defies rational explanation. It's the spirit of God who gives you this ability to praise. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Their lives are changed now, having a personal relationship with God. One of the great pictures of this transformation that happens when we praise God happens when Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. In Luke 24, 50, Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, lifting up his hands. He blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them. It was carried up into heaven. In the response, they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And we're continually in the temple 
blessing God. Listen, their life is like ours, probably worse in some cases, first century Christians. But this relationship with Christ carried on and, and typified their life and was integrated and interwoven into their life where their activity was constantly about being in the temple, blessing God. It just simply means that their life was about worship, all of it, formal and informal, all about giving praise to him. Finally, we also see as a benefit of worshiping besides the glory that goes to God and in enjoying the experience of the presence of God and our faith being strengthened. We also gain a sense of what I've been speaking of throughout this meditation that we finally, as we praise God, get a sense of fulfillment and purpose by doing what we're created to do. It's so glorious to see creation do what God made for it to do. It's just a beautiful picture. And for us, that main thing is to bring praise by our lips and by our actions to God. We were created to have fellowship. Think of the the garden with Adam and Eve, perfect fellowship with God. He was with them. There was no shame. There was no guilt. There was nothing between them, no dividing wall of separation. And their life and their speech was all about praising God. And sin disrupts this. In the coming of the second Adam was so that we might now be restored to what paradise was. And now we can, in this life, have fulfillment by bringing praise, looking forward to the new earth when we'll have what Adam and Eve had in so far as all the paradise, but now a nature that will be bent totally towards God, constantly towards him. And we have that to look forward to, and it gives us now a sense of longing and hunger to sense some of that now, to partake of the Lord's Supper as though it was the marriage supper of the Lamb, as though it was the final fellowship. It's not, it can't touch it yet, but it's going to get there. And that's the final call. You know, heaven is not just this place of disembodied, uh, angels with wings floating it's the new earth created the way it should have been or was and now with man rightly taking his place of supreme worship of god there on the earth and then everything else that god gives us as an act of worship too it's a beautiful picture of total redemption not just me personally but of creation through the redemption of man the coming of jesus is a has a deep deep profound widespread blessing to all of creation And the redeemed have the opportunity to actually say it, think it, and live it out by the Holy Spirit's ministry. The psalmist says, praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praise to his name, for that is pleasant. There are many calls to worship in the Psalms, but this particular Psalm 135 verse 3 says, praise his name, for that is pleasant. It will satisfy us praising god our dissatisfaction and discontentment comes because even if we don't say it with our lips we're praising ourselves, or we're focusing on ourselves. well no i'm not i'm focusing on my family or my children well that's what you're doing is you're you're serving them so that you receive some reciprocation or sense of self investment in them and it is really a roundabout way to still bring satisfaction and praise to self it must be god first And the beauty is these other things take their proper place and they're still excellent things that we now see through the right lens because we're doing what God created us to do, glorify him and enjoy him. And we do it forever. Again, the reaction, and I close with this reaction, the angelic host, suddenly the birth of Christ, there was with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's pray. Father, with the words of the psalmist, 
pray that you would cause us to extol you at all times. We want the praise of you to always be on our lips. Lord, because your love is better than life, our lips will glorify you. Father, deliver us from the illusion that this life is about serving self and that we'll be happier if we do that. Lord, please free us from this. Free us to serve you first and teach us how all these other things fall into the right place with you seated firmly on the throne of our hearts and understanding. And Lord, especially now at Advent, where we all have opportunity to sing these hymns, read these readings, hear certain sermons and meditations, help us now to really just pause for a moment in the midst of the hustle and the bustle and praise you. Just praise you, God, for you are worthy and it is pleasant to do. Pray this in Jesus' name, the one who makes this possible. Amen. Let's together respond by singing the very first verse of Joy to the World. Verse 1 of 195. Let's sing and stand and sing Joy to the World.